0: they assume it's an ongoing cost that needs to stay at that level. We're averaging about 28% reduction in their energy costs. I think they would be surprised if that's even possible. Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, Join us in the uncommon area.
1: Welcome to the Uncommon Area. I am Matthew Holbrook, and this episode is all about energy saving opportunities for homeowners associations. And joining me today to talk about this is Timothy Ma, Actions Director of Business Operations, and also uh, Paul Huller of Brightwave Energy. And um, you both in different ways have kind of a high level of expertise and experience in this area, and Paul, especially you. And so we are uh, grateful that you are a part of this and looking forward to um, your insight. And expertise, but maybe just to get things rolling and to get it started, um, tell us a little bit about your background and um, kind of what has prepared you to be able to speak intelligently about energy savings.
0: Sure. So um, winding the clock back a while, um, I came out at Purdue University with two engineering degrees, went to work for a Fortune 50 company and led their manufacturing sites across North America for about 25 years. Um, Towards the end of my career there, um, they asked me to take a look at energy savings across the plants. And so I did some benchmarking across facilities all over the world, learned who was doing it the best. We created a program there and we wrote it out. And in the next three years, we saved about $230 million. Wow! And so I thought, why not take that outside of the company? And so I left on very good terms, started my own firm. And now I, um, I help any of our clients just reduce their energy costs.
1: that's great well i know that you and tim have worked together a lot tim has kind of been able to function as uh, as kind of the facilitator to get you connected with a lot of action clients and we've seen a lot of successful results there and um tim i I know you you um, have a lot of thoughts on maybe some things to highlight with paul that might be helpful to managers and
2: board members yeah thank you matthew um so paul i think we've been working together for eight plus years now oh for sure um but just for starters basics of energy. People are seeing invoices from the utility company. They're seeing KW, KWH, mm-hmm. basics of
0: energy. Talk talk us through those. Okay. The Most of the, the properties that we've been working with have very complicated energy bills. Um, it's not like your residential bill where you just get a bill for the KWH. Um, there's sometimes as many as 23 different charges on an energy bill in, in a California property. Um, the two largest ones are the most important for um, action properties would be um, how they're charged for their KWH and charged for their demand, which is called KW. So the, if you think about um, you're going to say you're going to pump some water from one tank to another, the energy that you use to do that is the KWH. So you multiply the demand, which is the KW times the length of time it takes to do that. And that's what you get charged for in terms of usage. That's what most people think about on their energy bill. What they don't think about is this demand charge that accompanies it, and it's totally separate. And it's a rate of draw of the power into the building. And that can be as much of, as a third or more of what the cost is on your utility bill. So as an example, let's say that we're gonna pump 1,000 gallons between one tank and a second tank. If, if the pump pumped all of that water in one hour, and then we did it in a different scenario where we pumped the same amount of water, but we did it slower across two hours, it would have the same KWH, but it would have half of the KW. And the reason that's important is in most of the properties that we look at in California, um, the KWH rates are about 18 cents per KWH, and they can be, be anywhere from 15 to $25 per KW. And so being able to level out the profiles and do things steady and smooth is a huge opportunity for all properties. And it's one that's just not very well understood. Mm. So that
2: KW, that demand charge is going to be the the spike or the peak on the graph of how much you were pulling within a certain minute interval.
0: That's correct. So what the utility company does is they take 15 minute averages for the entire billing cycle. They find the single highest 15 minute period of time. And that's what they bill you for the entire month. So if you do something for 15 minutes, it's like you had that running the entire month. It wouldn't cost you any more because they they bill at that single high peak. Now, with some of the utility companies like Southern California Edison, they reset that every month and you start over again. Other companies, utility companies like LADWP, they reset it once every 12 months. So if you spike something for 15 minutes for an operation you have at your facility, you will be paying at that level for the next 12 months.
1: All right, so just a couple of clarifications on this. Um, what you are really saying is, if I'm probably gonna use wrong terminology here, but maybe just to try to, to simplify what you're saying, the overall energy usage may not be as important from a billing standpoint as is the amount that is being pulled or demanded at any given point in time. Those peak amounts are what really drive the ultimate cost of your energy usage. In many cases, that's true. Uh, so let me just just to follow that up. Sorry, the the so with that, from uh, an association standpoint, would it be fair to say that, to the extent possible, where they can level out the, their energy usage, um, and to avoid high peaks, they're going to be able to potentially have significant impact in reducing their energy costs. Is that a, in in, in general, I I would imagine there's exceptions, but is that generally kind of the principle that we're talking about?
0: It is generally true. The the opportunity that it gives us is we can often look at operational procedures within a facility to reduce the demand charges without spending any capital to do that. Right. Right. So it's just changing
1: operational practices mm-hmm. where maybe there are certain peaks that are, are hitting at certain times that aren't even required. And maybe people don't realize that by doing it in a certain way, it's it's driving their costs up sure. more. Sure.
0: Could I give you an example? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first properties we had a chance to work with, um, th- they, had, they were required every week to run their fire pumps for 15 minutes. It was part of their fire code, they had to do that. And because it was like a, a, a twin tower, they had a fire pump for each of the sides of the building. And so what the engineer on site would do is they would go down there and they would start both fire pumps up, run them for 15 minutes and shut them off. And very quickly we learned that if we would just have them do one, shut it off, wait 15 minutes, run the other one and shut okay. it off, we would have two charges of 100 kW instead of one charge of 200 kW we cut that cost in half by just making a simple operational procedure. And the savings of just doing that was over $18,000 a year in demand charges.
2: Right. That's
1: a great example.
2: So that's a good segue. That's one example of an operational change that you've helped our teams to make to save energy costs for their clients. Could you give us some other examples? What are the types of big picture things that associations can do to reduce their energy costs?
0: Well, the operational ones are fun to do first because they're fast. They can start them the very next day. Um, sometimes we've had one example where we did that over a phone call and we started saving them money. Um, the proceed, it, the education is what really allows them to save money. So if, they're, if they have a lot of their HVAC equipment, especially on timers, if they start everything up at the same time, then it's an additive demand charge because each piece of equipment is added on top of the other one. Where if they would stage them, start one up, wait 15 minutes, start one up, wait 15 minutes, then they're not additive and they can greatly reduce demand charges just by staging the startup of equipment that they start up every day. Um, So fire pump
2: procedures, HVAC. Uh, I know you've done a lot with lighting. Um, talk us through what are some other of the big buckets of opportunity when you, when you look at cost savings?
0: Sure. So when we go in and, and help a client, I mean, every building is different. And the reason that's really important to, to um, share is um, we start by doing what we call a regression analysis on the data. We pull the 35,000 data points from the utility company, which is the 15-minute averages for a year. And we look at that and we graph it by month, by day, by week, every way you can think of. And it's kind of like an EKG that a doctor would use for the patient. And it gives us a very nice picture of that property's personality based on the people that are living there. Some of the properties are younger people that, um, you know, they stay up very late. And so we see their energy usage well into the nights. Other ones, people are, you can see they're going to bed by 930 and the energy level drops off. So we want to make changes that save them money, but don't impact negatively their lifestyle. And so we want to see what that profile looks like before we ever go take a look at their equipment. We're also able to see in their profiles what technologies might or might not help. So there's, I don't know, 16 or 18 proven, you know, energy-saving technologies available, but we only recommend the one that's going to work for that that property. Lighting is one, um, you know, having VFDs. Variable frequency drives on, say, their mm-hmm. domestic water pumps. Same thing if they have ventilation fans. We look at um, um, offsetting uh, their demands by either peak shaving or load shifting. Those are operational procedures. You can always offset demand charges if you do some discrete power generation yourself. Mm-hmm. So even a small solar system or you know a small microturbine could offset just those peaks and dramatically r- reduce your costs. Um, we've also had really good luck lately with window film. The old window film of the past was horrible stuff, and people hated it. It looked coppery, and, and nobody liked it, um, but the new stuff you can't see. Mm. And it's actually ceramic window film, and it has a remarkable heat reduction associated with it.
1: Mm. So just to underline the same point again, you're, you're kind of making it in a different way, but I think it's probably maybe the easiest and least understood uh, facet of what you're talking about for managers and for board members, but even the the most um, simple or smallest um, impact in energy usage that, uh, that shaves or reduces the, the peak usage can have pretty significant impact on what your, what your um, ultimate costs are. So for boards and for managers, just to be thinking in those terms, how do we, how do we minimize the, the peak usage, mm-hmm. um, those are the, the types of things that they want to be thinking about. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that you can find in that regression
2: analysis of those 35,000 data points to see I can identify where those peaks and spikes are in the usage. Um, I think when you've done those regression analysis in the past, you've also found sometimes misbilling or that the the bills from the utility company didn't match uh, the actual equipment on site. Maybe you could talk
0: through some examples of that. Yeah, th- that actually happens more than you would expect. Okay, so meters are a mechanical or an electronic device and they fail. You know, they have burps and they they have errors in them. And so um, we had one property um, that was one of our oldest clients and we were doing a second run after a couple years of savings for them. We went back and did a second run. And what we found was they were billed for a spike in demand, which was physically higher than they could I mean, if everything in that building was turned on simultaneously, they could have not generated a spike as high as what they were built for. And so we were able to put together the technical case um, for the general manager to go work that with the utility company to to get that resolved.
2: Hmm. That's a great example. Um, What other examples specifically of the action associations have been some of your favorite cost saving wins uh, in partnering with BrightWave?
0: Well, my favorite ones are always the operational ones. You know, we saved a lot of money for the Carlisle and Wilshire. We saved a lot of money for West Ocean down in Long Beach just by doing some operational changes, and it was immediate. They saw it the very next week almost in their utility bill. I also really enjoy um, projects where we're able to get funding so that it costs the HOA virtually nothing. So there are some programs specifically in Northern California. When we did the work at the Access in San Jose, we enrolled them in the Bay Rent program, and we took care of all of that for them. And we did, you know, well over hundred thousand dollars worth of lighting for them, and got one hundred percent, you know, refund on that. And so we were able to update the lighting throughout that entire building. We did some other work with condensing boilers and so on, but um, to be able to tie into a program that has um, is designed to you know, offset those costs is, it it makes it a lot of fun. You know, a zero um, month simple payback is a good number. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. Yeah. Um, So the Bay Rent program is really designed for Northern California properties because they can't take advantage of any tax deductions. So like the investment tax credit is a great process we use to save money for clients. But if you don't pay taxes because you're a, you know, you're a nonprofit, then you can't benefit from that. So BayREN steps in and in that program, they actually allocate um, $750 per unit. So if you've got 300 units, they're willing to give you a quarter of a million dollars to do energy reduction projects. Wow. And those
2: rebate opportunities, um, programs like BayREN, they're constantly changing, evolving. How do managers and boards stay up to date on not only rebate opportunities, but also just legislative changes? I know there's been some assembly
0: bills that we've had to walk through in some of the areas. Maybe you could talk through those those items. It is constantly changing. And I mean, I think it's a very difficult task for the average general manager or board to stay on top of all of those. And that's partly why we do that for them. You know, we when we know what's going on, with LEDWP, we know it's going to impact all of the clients we have with them. Same thing with PG&E. We know when they make a change, um, we know it's going to impact all the clients. They just recently, up in P- for PG&E, they just recently changed every one of their non-resident clients into a new type of account, and so a lot of um, the high-rise buildings missed that that happened because it wasn't well communicated. And they still may not know that it happened because what PG&E did is they gave a 12-month period where they nullify any increases in costs to the to the building. But at the end of the 12 months, then they're not going to do that anymore. And essentially what happened was the most expensive time to use power was between noon and 4 o'clock. And that's because that's when the usage was the highest. And so PG&E has a time of use, (T.O.W.) of billing where they would charge more for power you use between 12 and 4 than any other time of the day but so many people have now installed power through solar systems that that's not the case anymore so now they have moved that time of use period to be the most expensive between four and nine in the evening which really hurt places that put in solar to offset that because now it's not the most expensive electricity but it causes us to really understand that when we look at how to save the money because the most expensive electricity is now in the evening when everybody's home, mm. you know, with their families, not off at work during the day.
1: Is there a common mistake that you see associations making that you get brought in and, and you're like, "This is this is the same kind of thing that just keeps coming up over and over again with different associations and you wish that more associations would just know this and not make that mistake?
0: I don't know that there's any one thing. I think that As people come into assignments and they're used to seeing a bill at a certain level, let's say that a a property is spending $25,000 a month in in their utility cost and the new people come in, that's what it is. That's what it was. They just assume it's okay. And so they assume it's an ongoing cost that needs to stay at that level. So it's maybe a complacency, um, not digging in and understanding what the real opportunity is. For all the clients that we've had over the last, say, eight years, we're averaging about 28% 28% reduction in their energy costs. We've had some as, mo- as low as we've saved 84% of their energy costs, but that's not the norm. But, you know, if, if we talked to the average board member and said, if you wanted us to help you, we could knock out 28 to 30% of your costs, um, I don't think most of them would expect that. I think they would be surprised that that's even possible.
2: And you found that even in some of the newer buildings as well, right?
0: Well, yeah, because the newer buildings still have the same operational issues. You know, they may already have um, LED lights, and they may have VFDs on their fans, but they're still making um, mistakes that they don't even know are mistakes. I mean, one good example is um, lights that have ballasts. So this is something that's not very well known, but if you're, you know, if you remember back to your earlier school days, um, and the teacher used to turn on the fluorescent lights that flicker for a few seconds— before they came on, well, people didn't like that. Those were mechanical ballasts. And so what the industry has done is they moved f- towards electronic ballasts. So you flick on the lights, they immediately come on. Well, the way that they do that is they keep them energized all the time. And so what very few people know is when you have fluorescent lights, even when you turn them off, you're still pulling 12% of the wattage of the of the lights, even though they're turned off. Hmm. And so if you were to put a meter on your light switches and you turn off the lights, it's going to keep spinning. And so... There's a learning there when people decide to make the move from fluorescent to LEDs, a lot of times they want to just use the bulbs that are designed for use with ballast because it's cheap. You pull out the old bulb, you put a new bulb and you leave it alone, but they're still losing 12% of their energy um, even when those lights are turned off. That's a great so example. We, we try and get in and actually remove the ballast, do a retrofit kit, and it's a little bit more expensive, but... It's got tremendously more savings. And the thing to keep in mind is, from a physics standpoint, light always becomes heat. You know, if unless the light is permanently absorbed into the carpeting and the walls and the ceiling, once it enters the room, it becomes heat. That heat now puts a load on your HVAC system, and so your air conditioners have to run harder. And so we work very carefully to sequence the projects in the right order. If we can reduce the heat in the room because we've taken the wattage down of the bulbs through leds we now know that we're going to be taking a load off of the air conditioning system and then there's less there to save in the air conditioning mm-hmm. so taking a little bit of a
2: right turn uh, some managers have heard mention, specifically in the los angeles region of ca802 regarding benchmarking could you give us a 30 second summary of that legislation
0: sure so California AB, Assembly Bill 802, requires that all properties within the state of California, it's statewide, at a certain threshold, and, and currently it's been at 50,000 square feet, um, are required by law to complete an annual benchmarking and to submit that with the submission fees to the state of California. Um, it's been enforced in uh, Southern California. It has not been as enforced um, in the rest of the state, but it is the law across the state of California. And that's an annual requirement. It's an annual requirement. It's due the June, the first of June every year. And um, I mean, Brightwave is providing that for several um, properties today. And we just take it off their hands. We do that, do the submission, we even pay the fees.
1: What are the potential consequences of non-compliance?
0: Well, the first is you get a really nasty threatening letter and then the fines can be up to $2,000 a day for non-compliance. That's
2: specific to California. Um, let's talk a little bit also about Texas mm-hmm. in terms of large opportunities, uh, cost savings. What specifically
0: should we know about energy in Texas? I think energy in Texas is really going to be an interesting um, topic in the next couple of years. You know, Texas has struggled with grid stability. And so there is a desire for a lot of properties to have some form of self-production so that they don't have to worry about that. Texas is different from California primarily in that, their costs are just so much cheaper where the average cost of electricity in California is probably 18 cents a KWH. It's maybe 10 cents, 12 cents in Texas. So the very same project, say a lighting project that has a three year payout in California might take five years to pay out in Texas. So we have to still look for rebates and incentives within the Texas laws to make sure we can make those viable. Um, But reducing power and saving money is going to be just as important in Texas in the, in the years ahead as it is in California. You mentioned the years ahead. Uh, None of us have a crystal ball, but based on your
2: experience, what you're seeing in the energy industry with the utility companies, what types of things are you concerned about or excited about in the future of energy?
0: There's a huge push right now to go green, okay? And when I first talk with any new client, I ask them, do they wanna use less energy? Do they wanna reduce their energy bill? or do they want to reduce their carbon footprint? Those are three very different things, but a lot of people use them interchangeably. And so one project might help one of those dramatically, but hurt the other two. Some projects will help all three. And so what we really need to do is understand what the desire is for that client and make sure we meet those needs. Um, we were definitely finding in some areas, especially in, in Northern California, um, the HOAs are specifically asking for what the carbon footprint impact would be from our mm. our projects. Um, we haven't seen that in the past, um, but there's now a kind of an intrinsic desire within that community to, to say, we've reduced our carbon footprint by the work the Bright Wave has done for us. Um, charging stations are becoming a really big deal with, you know, more and more charging vehicles. They're charging during the day, in many cases, um, when it was expensive. Now It's going to be expensive to charge them when they're at home. Um, There's a whole billing question about how do you bill for people in um, high-rise condominium buildings that are using chargers. Um, I think that's going to be a continuing trend that we're going to see as more EVs.
2: That's great. Someone's watching this video and thinking, all this sounds great. I don't know all 35,000 data points for my association. How does a, a contract in terms of energy savings, energy review, and analysis? How is that normally structured with Brightwave or other energy consultation companies?
0: Sure, I think our model is actually quite unique right now. Um, most traditional companies that have helped with energy um, want to sell something, so you'll you'll be offered a lot of free audit. Someone will come in and offer free audit, but they want to sell you an air compressor, or they'll offer free audit and they want to sell you solar. If they even are selling something that you want, like solar, they're going to put in the largest system that will fit because that's where they make their money. And what we found is that's just not good strategy. Um, it's the mix of different technologies where we allow each technology to play off of its strength. So we may advocate for smaller solar, but do more with heat recovery or do more with HVAC systems. The more efficient we can make the lighting and the air conditioning, the smaller solar system that's needed. So It's the combination of putting those pieces together that really I think is unique to our model. Now, the way that we charge for that is not by selling things and we don't mark up any equipment. What we do is we bill for our time and our expertise. So there's no conflict of interest in terms of the things that we propose. And we actually become the inside kind of expertise for that site acting on their behalf.
2: You're taking a holistic approach to all of the different energy components and you're just charging for that audit expertise upfront. Um,
0: so you can give
2: recommendations without any conflict of interest as you move on.
0: Exactly. And then we're also willing to do the project management. If the HOA says we love those four projects, um, but they don't want to have to work the interfaces between those four vendors, we'll just take that on and, and handle it for them. That's great.
1: Well, Paul, thank you so much. This has been super helpful. And I think it'll be helpful to a lot of uh, board members and and managers. And thank you, Tim, for bringing your experience to the table on this. And um, I hope this has been a helpful episode for anyone who has watched this. And I would encourage you to look for other Uncommon Area uh, episodes that can provide additional information on lots of other subjects.